I remember my knees buckling and me holding on this railing thinking, oh my God, if I vomit like that again, I'm going to black out. And that was the last conscious thought I had. So I obviously blacked out and just fell overboard. I mean, let me tell you, when you fall from six meters onto ocean, it's like hitting concrete. I didn't feel any of that. But I remember being in a dream. And I was, I was tumbling, tumbling around, around in this white, white water, and I thought I was in a washing machine. I was a kid again, and my mates had put me in a washing machine, chucked some Omo in, and I was tumbling around, tumbling around, and they figured out. So I'd fallen from the side of the boat down. I got sucked underneath the boat. It was a twin prop. How I didn't get chomped up by propellers, no one knows. I obviously popped out the other side, and then I popped up. And as my head broke the surface again, I was still in this dream and my mates were flicking water on my face. And I was saying, guys, don't, don't wet my bed, don't wet my bed. I, I'm, I'm an accountant, I'm a Virgo, I'm like, everything's got to be in a box. And I opened my eyes and it was just this water slopping all over me. And then I looked up and in the distance, I saw maybe 15 meters in front of me, I saw our boat, the back of our boat. And I screamed, black. I, I tell you what, I can still remember that scream. I felt like my lungs were actually going to come out of my throat. And I just screamed. I was just in the middle of the ocean. I'd seen where we were on the GPS. And the, I just knew in that moment, that's this is where I'm going to die. This is Brett Archibald, describing the moment he fell overboard in the middle of the Metawai Straits of Indonesia. In the middle of the night, in the middle of one of the biggest storms recorded, in the middle of a bout of severe food poisoning. The fact that we're speaking to him now means he miraculously survived. And this is one of the most incredible survival stories you'll ever hear. And it all started with a pact amongst friends. I was living in London at the time when we all turned 40 and we'd made a pact that we, well, one day we all wanted to go and surf in Hawaii. Then the Mentawi Islands were discovered and it's surfing Nirvana, you know, it's just the most spectacular place in the world. It's a place called the Mentawi Straits, it's an archipelago of about 2,000 islands, most of them uninhabited but just some of the best surf breaks in the world. Just Reef surf breaks, lefts, rights, warm water, it's just heaven. So if living in London, to go there was just the best thing we could have ever done. So we, we all turned 40. Um, the original crew that went was 10 of us that were all at school together from youngsters, you know, grade one, grade two. They were all close friends, but had not lost touch with each other, but were living all over the world. So... We went on our first one when we turned 40, fell in love with the place and made a pact that we'd go every two years. And this specific trip in 2013 was now my, my third trip. So I felt pretty comfortable. We made a schoolboy error in the sense that we, because some of the guys had been five times, most of us at least three times, we decided to we knew everything about this place. We didn't need to get an international boat. And it was it's actually quite a 
interesting part of the story. To save $500 across 10 of us, we, we decided, oh, we know what we're doing. We'll go with a local boat. We'll go with a local skipper instead of international guys. And it really just is a story that started to go wrong a week before this trip started. It was just too terrible. I uncovered, I'd moved back from London to South Africa. I'd bought a um, business called Ornmaster and I uncovered a massive fraud with some of my staff. And I'm an accountant by trade and I knew something was wrong, but I just could not figure it out to the point I got to doing daily stock takes and figured this whole thing out. And it was just too big a the, the money that had been stolen, I just couldn't survive. I couldn't sustain the business. So I, so we were leaving on a Sunday. And on the Monday, I came home from, from the factory really down in the dumps and just said to my wife, I'm, I, I've got to bail from this trip. I'm not going. But I'd paid in everything and I phoned, and she said, no, 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 go. And I said, I can't. And I phoned all the guys and said, look, I'm not coming. And they were like, no, Archie, you have to come. You have to come. And on the Tuesday, Anita, my wife, came to me in the evening and said, Brett, look, there's nothing you can do about this situation. It's done. Go for the surf trip for two weeks. Clear your mind. Come back fresh, clear-headed, and let's sort this thing out. Well, a, a week later, the poor woman, she regretted that decision so badly. And so with the encouragement of his wife, Anita, Brett changed his mind and set off for the airport to join his mates in Padang. But first, 50 long hours of flying and layovers. One of the reasons also we'd taken this crazy trip to get there at the time is because in the past, we'd always got there late in the afternoon, got on the boat and to do an overnight crossing. But being, being in, the, in the islands, you know, it's tropical and the storms come in the evening. So I'd had two phenomenal trips and one really scary one. We're actually a mate of ours was sitting on the edge of the boat having a beer chatting and the boat rocked so badly he fell. And two of us, we thank God the, he had two guys flanking him, myself and another guy, and we actually grabbed his legs. But he was over the over the side and we pulled him back on. And I'll never forget the skipper just coming out and screaming at us and telling us, guys, you don't understand. If one of you falls over here, there's not a chance we'll ever find you. It's impossible. That was on my, our very first trip. So that always stuck in my mind. Also, I'm a skipper. I love boats. I mean, I've been on, I grew up on boats in the ocean and, and I'm so conscious of safety on boats and this kind of stuff. So we get, we, this trip, we wanted to get there early and do the crossing in the daytime. If there is a storm, we'll be almost on the other side. So I'll never forget. We landed Padang. We go through, there's our surf guide. As I said earlier, we'd gone on the cheap. This guy could hardly speak English. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for an authentic Balinese experience? He's how's it, guys? He's got our little banner up, and he says, I've made a big mistake. I've taken the boat up the river. We're tide dependent. It's now going on to low tide. We can't sail until 7 o'clock tonight. Well, let me tell you, <laughs> this was one very grumpy 50-year-old man. I screamed at this guy. Long story short, we dropped at a place called the Happy Family Karaoke Bistro and Bar 
on the side of the ocean. And they said they'd come and pick us up around about five o'clock. And they, we came and got collected. Five o'clock, taken up the river, got onto this boat, which we'd never seen before. I mean, you, you get to know all the boats because they cruise around the same kind of surf spots. It was called the Nagalau. And it looked fine. I mean, she looked like a fine boat, 65 foot, got on board. I mean, honestly, compared to the other boats we'd been on, probably two and a half star. So we're all unloading our surfboards and unpacking. And then the skipper came to us and said, listen, guys, you could see how grumpy we were. And he said, if you let me use the chef to help with rigging the boat and getting things ready, we'll be the first to sell. We just said, do whatever. And we got takeout. Mistake number two. In Indonesia, when you get takeouts, eat nasi goreng or noodles. When in Italy, eat pizza and pasta. <laughs> he ordered us three pizzas, which were calzones. To this day, I can't eat calzone. I can't even look at pizza. I want to throw up. And these three calzones arrived, and we just set sail. We're chugging down the river to hit the ocean. And we sit down at the dinner table, and these three things get wrapped out. And there's nine of us, because Eddie's not there, three of us to a pizza. I mean, they're huge like this. And my very big friend, Benoit Maingard from Mauritius, he just loves his food. He sliced this thing into three. And I, I still, I mean, I can see it. I can smell it. The meat in it was just pitch black. It looked like tar. We found out after it was water buffalo. It wasn't even beef. And it stank. And to be quite frank, I don't think I ate more than three or four bites of that stuff. And then we all meandered back upstairs, cruising around, unpacking our boards, getting everything ready, because now we're going to sail. We're going to get there. Predicted time is 4.35 in the morning. We'll go and sign in. You've got to sign your boat in when you get to the other side and hit the first surf spot. So we all am. We cruised down the river. We hit the ocean. And it was actually quite, in, quite insane, because I remember hitting the ocean, and, it, and I could see a storm on the horizon. And I said to the skipper, Skippy, is there a storm coming? Because I was up in the, in the his, his captain's area was at the top of the boat. And I'm looking out to see, and he said, yeah, Mr. Brett, storm coming. And then I went back, I said, I said guys, we're going to have another storm on this ride. And, and I took this photograph of this kid on a boat cruising along, and he was steering the boat with his foot. <laughs> and I remember saying to, to one of our friends, check at that guy, if he fell off that boat, He'd have no chance. I mean, even those chugging at two knots an hour, he'd never swim after it. He, little did I know, in a couple of hours, that's exactly where I'd be. Anyway, we hit the, hit the... It wasn't too bad, but it started raining. and The boat started rocking quite a bit. A couple of us stayed up, 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 up on the top deck, and then it got miserable, so we went down into the like the lounge area, some of the guys are watching surf videos. And I, I, I guess we all meandered down to bed, half past 11, 12, but we were tired. I mean, I, I, it, it was, a lot of people say, oh, how much did you have to drink, guys? We did have a couple of beers, but it wasn't a wild party. Anyway, as, as we hit the ocean, I had a Blackberry at the time, and I hadn't said goodbye to, chatted to Anita. The last time I spoke to her was in Jakarta, and she said, Brett, please just phone me before you do the crossing and when you get to the other side. 
it's all I, I don't have to hear from you after that. I just and because she remembered that incident three three trips before where Mark nearly fell overboard. And I hadn't phoned you, and I quickly t- I tried to phone. There's no signal, and that's one of the reasons we go there. There's no signal. You don't even take a laptop unless you want to watch movies. It's just Robinson Crusoe stuff, you know, wild islands. And I tried to send a BlackBerry message. That didn't go through. And I went to sleep, and I woke up, and I know the exact time because I woke up to the up. Uh, my, my mate and I we were in the front, in the cabin in the bow, which is in the in the hull of the boat. And we were literally going up in the air and just smashing down. Up, down, up, down. And I woke up and I, I'd never, ever been seasick in my life. I didn't know what seasickness was like or anything. And I woke up and I, and I actually turned to Jean-Marc was awake and I said, hey, Jam, this is a rough ride. And we, there were two guys that it was their first time. And I said, hey, these guys are going to be, this is going to be a scary trip for them. And he started laughing. And then I looked at my phone and my BlackBerry message hadn't gone through. And I said to him, geez, Anita, I'm going to have my nuts cut out when I get to the other side. He said, don't worry, I'll chat to Neat. And I need to go to the bathroom. And I climbed up this ladder to be greeted by the sight of one of our mates running down the passage with this big red-handled screwdriver, which was about this long. And I was like, Bridgie, what are you doing? And then I heard, help me, help me, help me. Help, help. And I said, what's going on? He said, banger, the big, my big mate from Mauritius was just shouting, help me, Oaks. And what had happened was his door in their cabin was a sliding door. And with the boat just going up and down, smashing, the door was sliding backwards and then bang, bang. So he'd woken up and locked it. He woke up feeling horrific and needed to go to the bathroom, went to open the door and the lock broke. So he was now stuck inside. So Mark bust the door open, and the sight that greeted me was this six foot five, 115 kilogram guy emptying his toiletry bag and just vomiting into this bag. And it was just like it was just like this this black bile, like tar, just pouring out of his mouth. And I took one look at this. And at that stage, I was not the best friend in the world. My first thought was, I'm getting to the bathroom before you. And I bolted down the passage into the head, and literally the same thing happened to me. I exploded from both sides. I was vomiting, and had I had a pair of shorts on, pulled my shorts down, managed to get on the toilet. There was a little basin there, and I just put my head in the basin. I started vomiting, and I had diarrhea, just black everywhere. And it, it, this, this bathroom had a little hand shower in it. And I remember switching it on, and just running this wall. I was sopping wet, just washing this this stuff off my body, out of the basin. And I don't know how long I was in there for, but eventually, I, I remember actually putting my head on my knees and, and almost in tears saying, please, can I stop vomiting? If I vomit again, I'm going to die. I just, you know, you just cannot retch anymore. Eventually, I'm, 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 I think I'm okay and I just think I need fresh air. And I walked out and I went right. And I looked up and, it, and there's a clock in the, in the dining room. And it was 20 past two in the morning. And I was like, oh my God, I have been sick for 45 minutes. And I went outside and there was Banger. He hadn't even tried to make the bathroom. He'd run past, as he went past in the kitchen, he grabbed a salad bowl. And he was lying at the back of the boat in the open area with this thing. And he was just being sick. And, and I said to him, but the water was washing over the back. The sea was really, really rough. 
And I said, we've got to get to the top deck. And I helped him up this ladder, which the size of him and the size of me was a really tough task because he was in such a bad way. Got to the top of the boat and and there's a, there, there's a mounted table and two benches. He literally just fell on the bench and he said, Jetman, he calls me Jetman because I used to fly all over the world all the time. He said, Jetman, find out how long we've got to go. And I walked into the skipper's cabin and the first thing I noticed was our GPS. And I looked down and saw our little blip and we weren't even halfway into the crossing. And I looked at the clock now, it's 25 past two. And I just said, Skippy, what's going on? And he said, Mr. Brett, big storm, big storm. And I said, well, why don't you turn back? And he said, we didn't know at the time, some of our bilge pumps weren't working on the boat. Boat was taking in a hell of a lot of water. He was panicking that if he turned broadside into the storm, the boat might just roll over. So he just kept going into the storm. Five boats had gone out that night, four international skippers. They all turned around and went back. We were the only guys plowing through the storm. And they say it was one of the worst storms in the in the history of, of the Mentawai Straits. I mean, it was just ridiculous. So I'm standing looking, and I was so angry with this guy. There was a little fridge there. I grabbed a Coke because I needed to hydrate. I mean, I was feeling like hell. So I grabbed this tin of Coke. I'm drinking a Coke. I walked out. I grabbed one for, for banger. I walk outside, and it was freezing, just the wind lashing, the rain. So that we, we each had a little locker there. I grabbed a T-shirt, put the T-shirt on, gave banger. The, I actually sculled my Coke, threw it into the bin. Gave him his Coke, and I said, Banger, you have to drink this. And he said, I can't. And he started being sick again. So I've now got this Coke in my hand. And I just see him puking everywhere, and it just, my stomach just, bloop. So I walked to the railing, and, and there was a long pole there, all the surfboards on racks. And there's pole going to the, the railing, going to the right around the bow of the boat. And I'm standing there holding on, and I'm feeling, and you know what's so incredible? My, my mind looked down, and there was a boy. A life boy mounted on the side. And I thought, Brett, just slip your hand through that thing tight on the deck slippery, the it's freezing cold. If something happens, you, you you need, I mean, you need to be attached to the boat. And in that moment, I puked. <laughs> and I tell you, I've got a very macabre sense of humor. The first puke was like a fire hydrant of Coca-Cola. It just went, I was holding on and I just sprayed this. Coke out straight out into the into the into the ocean. And I actually remember chuckling to myself and saying, "Good one, Archie." The second <laughs> one wasn't so good because the wind just blew, just splat back in my face, all down my t-shirt. And the third time I vomited, actually, I, I remember my knees buckling and me holding on this railing, thinking, "Oh my God, if I vomit like that again, I'm going to black out." And that was the last conscious thought I had. I was six meters above the ocean. They they worked out. So I worked with some doctors afterwards, specifically Tim Noakes. Um, we've all got a vagus valve, which just closes your, your oxygen to your brain and you faint if you're being so violently ill and just to protect your organs and stuff. So they figured out that's what happened. I had no idea why. But so I obviously blacked out and just fell overboard. I mean, let me tell you, when you fall from six meters onto ocean, it's like hitting concrete. I didn't feel any of that. But I remember being in a dream and I was tumbling around in this white water and I thought I was in a washing machine. I was a kid again and my mates had put me in a washing machine, chucked some Omo in and I was tumbling around, tumbling around and they figured out. So I'd fallen from the side of the boat down. I got sucked underneath the boat. 
it, it was a twin prop. How I didn't get chomped up by propellers, no one knows. I obviously popped out the other side and then I popped up. And as my head broke the surface again, I was still in this dream and my mates were flicking water on my face. And I was saying, guys, don't, don't wet my bed. Don't wet my bed. I, I'm, I'm an accountant. I'm a Virgo. I'm like, everything's got to be in a box. And I opened my eyes and it was just this water slopping all over me. And then I looked up and in the distance, I saw maybe 15 meters in front of me. I saw our boat, the back of our boat. Banger, I could see because the lights were on and the guy who was on night duty, a guy buzzed fast asleep. And when I'd help bang up the stairs, I'd shout at us, Buzz, keep your eyes open. This is bad. We need everybody hands on deck. And I screamed, Black. I, I tell you what, I can still remember that scream. I felt like my lungs were actually going to come out of my throat. And I just screamed, Hi! And then, then, so we had a little tin boat that we were towing behind the boat that takes you out to the surf breaks. Interestingly, when we'd first got on the boat and, and about seven o'clock that night, the skipper had asked some of us to help him pull. It was on a 50 meter line, pull it in because he was so scared with the waves it might go under and pull, rip the whole back of the boat off. So come, a couple of us had pulled it into maybe 25 meters and this boat, this tin boat, how that didn't hit me in the back of the head and split my skull. This boat went past me and I remember looking and just thinking, you have to catch that. And I put my head down. I don't think I did more than 10 strokes. And I lifted my head and that was now 10 meters in front of me, the back of the boat further. And I was just in the middle of the ocean. I'd seen where we were on the GPS and there. I just knew in that moment, that's this is where I'm going to die. And I remember looking skywards and just screaming. I was so angry. And I... <laughs> I can't even use the expletives I used at the time. I just launched and I was screaming at God. I'd only been married for 10 years. My daughter was nine. My son was six. And I was just like, God, you can't do this. You can't. And I'm not a religious guy. I just, but I screamed at God. And a, cra a crazy thing happened. I heard this hyena. This hyena. I mean, the proper barking, giggling of a hyena. And I love the bushing. And I'm in the water. And the waves are just pounding me. I mean, I'd, I couldn't see a wave coming. It just hit me. I'd get pushed down. I didn't know if I was swimming up or down. I'd get up, take a breath. Another wave hit me. And I was just thinking, but I'm, I'm like just treading water. And I hear this noise. <laughs> and... And I suddenly realized this noise is emanating out of my own throat. It was almost this hysterical barking. And I have no idea why I did this. In that moment, I just went, Brett, you're going to die here. But if you, if, you, if you don't, just consider your circumstance. You've got no chance. And I don't know why. I put my hand on my wrist, just kicking my legs. I counted, I mean, it's not accurate, but 1,001, 1,002, taking my pulse two times. I did counted for 15 times above four. All I remember, my heartbeat being nearly 200 beats a minute. And I just thought, oh my God, this is adrenaline. When the adrenaline runs out, you're going to sink like a stone. You have to calm down. In the ocean, I close my eyes and say, Brett, you have to calm down. And I start this yoga mantra. And I'm just 
just counting slowly. And it was incredible. I don't know what the period was, but I checked my pulse again, my, my, my heart rate's calm. And I said, okay, breath, start thinking. I knew my friends would come back for me. And I'd actually asked the skipper, when I, when I looked down at that GPS, I said, Skippy, how long? He said, Mr. Brett, maybe 10 hours, maybe 12 hours. And this was a quarter past two. I said, that means we're only going to get there after lunch tomorrow. We're meant to be there at half past four. And he said, Mr. Brett, big storm, big storm. And I lost it with the skies. And I'm in the ocean, I'm thinking, he said, 10 to 12 hours. Don't have a good case scenario, only have a bad case scenario. So let's make it 14 hours. How are you going to stay alive for 14 hours? And I just kept thinking, someone must have seen me. They're going to turn around. So I'm treading water, just trying to keep calm, getting smashed. But, I, but I'm starting, I realize I can't just tread water because I, I can't stay afloat. So I just started doing breaststroke. Pull my arms, kick my legs, count. 1,001, 1,002. See a wave coming, go under. See a wave coming, go under. And I'm thinking, and then I started thinking, you know, they're, they're Indonesians, they're crazy people. I mean, they chuck all their stuff in the ocean. And there's flotsam everywhere in the sea. I mean, so I've got a very, I said, I've got a macabre sense of humor. The previous trip we'd been on, we nearly had a fridge <laughs> floating along. So I'm saying, okay, Archie, your boys are going to be coming back. You're going to find a fridge. It's going to be full of bintang. You're going to climb in this thing. You're going to be sitting there drinking beer. Your boys are going to come back here. And I'm having this whole laughter to myself. But it was, it was, it was just insane. I, I, Vomited another five times in the water, that second Coke that I drank, I just puked everywhere. And doing that, I swallowed a lot of salt water and I was coughing, spluttering, but I cramped. I kept cramping so badly. Just, And I remember going under the water, just holding myself in a ball and trying to stretch my hammies out and thinking, there's no ways. I, I, I cannot keep going like this. But I was so convinced I'd find something to hang on to, like a coconut tree or I was sort of thinking, plastic bags. I can blow a plastic bag up. I mean, it would never work, but in my mind it would have. Tie it in a knot, stick it under my T-shirt. I had all these thoughts going through my head. But it's still pitch black, and it's interesting. The sea's never pitch black. Even though it's a storm and the rain's lashing down, I've got this rhythm going. I'm swimming. My mates are going to come back. And I'm going along. And, and But I kept cramping, and the most... The weirdest thing happened. I, I just cramped so badly and I realized I can't do this. And I wanted to leave a message for my family. So I'm thinking, okay, it's got to be quarter to five, half past four. I can't carry on. I can't see land. There's no, there's no marker. I'm just going up and down on these waves. But I had a belt on. So I take my belt off and I get the, the spark of it and I'm going to write a message in my skin to my family because I'm going to drown they'll find my body and at least nobody had seen me fall nobody knew what had happened I, I need to tell my family so I, I was going to write accident slipped goodbye love you so I start scratching in my skin never tried completely and it starts bleeding and I just suddenly look down and there's this blood and I go Brett sharks you're going to attract sharks sharks are going to eat you no one's going to read your message, you stupid idiot. I'm screaming at myself. I throw my belt away and I think, come on, just fight. You've got to fight. Your mates are going to come back. So I made a plan in my head, take my mind completely off my situation. I can't do anything about this situation. So focus on something else. And I actually went back. I decided I was going to talk and sing songs. 
And it was just so weird. I started talking. I went back to the first person I could remember, which was my nursery school teacher. And I started chatting to her. And I went through every conversation that I could remember. And I just, it was unbelievable. I remembered people's phone numbers. I remembered people's names. I remember talking to them. Through my whole childhood, through high school, through my work career. And the most interesting thing out of that exercise was I got to a point where I had three people in my life that I, that I truly despised. I mean, I could have even said I hated them. And it was so weird because I'd hung on to that hatred. You know, I used to, I mean, not every day, but often in shaving in the morning, I'd look in the mirror and I'd think of those people. I knew exactly where they'd gone. They'd all left South Africa, but they'd hurt me financially or in, in my business career. And I was so angry with these people. And it was just so weird. In the ocean, I remember thinking, Brett, that, that you've owned this anger. They've gone on with their lives, you know. And I, and I just, I shouted out, Anita, I've let them go. But it was so incredible. It was almost like I had a new lease on life. I just, and I just knew I could swim. And I'm swimming and I'm talking and I'm kicking and I'm cramping and I'm straightening my legs. And I didn't know it. So now, fortunately, that whole day, the, the sun didn't come out. It was just cloudy and rainy, but so bad, the storm. I mean, there were three planes ready to take off to come and search for me, search planes. Friends of mine from, from my business career, my best friend lived in Bali. He'd organized a plane. They couldn't take off because of this, this storm. So I'm thinking there's boats coming for me. There's airplanes. There's going to be choppers in the sky. I mean, I've got insurance. It's, there's going to be not, no one was out. They've got a call through to the Indon, Indonesian Navy. That morning, and the, the, the commandant said, how long has he been in the water? Is it more than three hours? And somebody said, yes, we think it's more than three hours. He said, he's dead. We'll go and we'll, the body will wash up on the shore somewhere. We're not going out to search for him. So there was no one. My mates had gone, I didn't know, but they'd gone all the way across to Tourpajet, signed the boat in. When they got there and they anchored for the guy, one of the guys said, Hey guys, it was like 10 o'clock in the morning. Hey, where's Archie? Because I'm, I'm full of nonsense. I'm always causing trouble. I've got a very loud voice. I'm always playing pranks. And they said, and my, my cabin mate, he looked, he, he'd woken up and my bed was empty, but everybody had been sick on that boat. To the point, one of our friends had come up to check on us. And he said, how are you guys feeling? And he was the last guy who saw me. And I was holding on the radio. I said, Reggie, I, I think I'm going to die. So he kind of remembered that time. He said, if Brett went, that's the time he went. He's a helicopter pilot. So they got the other side, figured out I'm gone. Our skipper had to go and report man overboard. Be hectic for him because he, if, if I hadn't been found, if I'd been found dead, he would have gone to jail for, for negligence, maritime law. Anyway, he goes to say man overboard. They're refueling. My guys are just saying, we're turning around and we're going back to look. The skipper of the Baron J, the crazy Australian, Doris Elthring, Elthrington, Tony Doris Elthrington, he, he, his skipper was signing their boat out. Crazy coincidence in the story. We were 10 guys going on a surf trip. They were 10 Australians going on a surf trip. We were celebrating a 50th birthday. They were celebrating a 50th birthday. One of their guys had bailed on their trip. One of our guys had bailed on the trip. Their skipper's there. He goes running back because he hears a man, man's missing. He goes and says, 
Doris, Doris is a South African missing overboard. And he just went, you got to find this guy. His best friend had died that morning. He'd heard, he knew he was dying. He had cancer and he was going to, flying back to Australia on the Friday. So they were signing their boat out. They had one more day. They were going to surf that day and the next morning do the crossing back. So he just says to his crew, we're going, I'm going to look for this guy. And they said he was like a man possessed. He, he couldn't save his mate. He was going to go and look for me. So fortunately, two doctors on that boat and a lifeguard. The four of them go out into that storm. Our boat heads back. Now the guys come back, the skipper's on the boat, and they head back on the same trajectory. So my mate, the helicopter pilot, he'd last seen me, got all the maps out. He's plotting where the current should be. I'm swimming along. I didn't know. It's now 12 hours exactly. Hop was two in the afternoon now. The sea's calmed down a bit. It's not pounding me anymore. It's just these massive swells. I'm swimming along. The water's warm. God bless. And I go over the, the rise of this wave, and in the distance, I see this boat coming. And I'm like, no way. It's my boat. And I... And I'm swimming and I go over the next crest of a wave and the next crest and this boat's just coming towards me, coming towards me. Blake, they stop. I don't think it was more than 150 meters away. The boat stops there. I'm here. So the front of the boat's there. I can see Banger and Nile Hegarty on the top. I couldn't understand why they had their... It was pouring with rain. So they, they had hoodies on and they, both their arms were crossed and they were looking down like this. And I was saying, God, look here, look here. And I'm waving and I'm trying to swim to this boat. I didn't know at the time the rain was coming from behind me. So I could see them clearly, but it was going straight into their eyes. I drift with the current. Suddenly now I'm in the middle of the boat and I'm screaming and I'm trying to swim this 150 meters. This current is too strong. It's just taking me along cruising along like this and I'm in the middle of the boat and I'm screaming then I see all this activity at the back of the boat and I think clever skipper he stopped it's a 65 foot boat he's not bringing it close to me he's going to put the little tinny, tinny boat in the water and come and pick me up suddenly I'm at the back of the boat there's still all this activity and there's no little tin boat coming to find me and I put my head down and I'm like please God just no 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 and I put my head I'm trying to swim to the boat. What I didn't know is they had seen a piece of polystyrene the size of a human body, but a big block of polystyrene that was completely waterlogged. So it was floating just under the water, but when it went up on the crest of a wave, like the corner would pop out, and they thought it was my dead body, completely white, and it was like my elbow or the back of my head popping up. So they'd stopped there for this thing to drift up to them. As it drifted up, they realized it was polystyrene. Mark is up in the skipper's cabin with his map, and he looks out to the right. This is now on the port side. I'm now at the back of the boat. And he thinks he saw. To this day, he says, I, I, I saw your head. And he said to the skipper, let's just do one more loop around here. The skipper started their engines up. And all I saw was this puff of black smoke come out of the exhaust. And they sailed away again. And I, I, I tell you what, I thought I'd lost the plot when, when I saw the boat sailing away and I found myself in the ocean. 12 hours later, I watched that boat go and I just knew that is it. And they sailed away. I mean, they just disappeared.
I'm sorry. I'm really, really sorry. We all hate cliffhangers, but that's really all we have time for today. The good news is, we'll be releasing the sequel next week, as opposed to our regular two-week intervals. So tune in next week Friday and find out what happened to Brett in the middle of the ocean. Spoiler alert, the story gets even more crazy. Keeping It Wild is produced by Telltale Media and hosted by me, Blake Dyson. We've just launched our Patreon page, so if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider becoming a member and supporting the show. It's super cheap and really easy. Head over to our website, www.keepingitwild.co.za forward slash support for all the details. Catch you next week. In the meantime, keep wild and keep wild. Keep wild.